And we're back. We are the Cactus Hugs podcast. This is Nathan. And the messed up mustard bottle. This is Joseph. And we are here with Lester. Hello. Now we left off with um, a question that uh, uh, Lester was uh, giving us. And we did not have enough time to answer that. So go ahead, Lester. What was that again? <clears throat> okay, I so wasn't listening. <laughs> I think we all forgot it, too. We had to, like, go back because there's been such a gap between the, uh, the last one and starting this one. But um, to summarize, we're, we were talking about um, how God's given us an impossible task because he made us. He understands human nature. And he knows we're we're going to commit sin, but he gives us this law that says don't do it anyway, and if you do it, uh, you're going to hell. Uh, and uh, your explanation uh, was something akin to uh, that's the point. He, he's going to show us why we need a Savior through all this stuff. But then my, my question was, what happens when you die and go to heaven? Because that's the next step, right? So let's say that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you Amen. say, okay— uh, I've been real bad at this test, God. I did my best, and I failed horribly like we all knew I would because you told me that was going to happen. And now here I am. Now the party begins. We're all just going to live in this heaven. Um, do I continue to be me? Or do I all of a sudden, all of my sins are absolved, and I no longer can commit them, and all of a sudden I become some sort of deity myself where I'm perfect? Um Deity, no, but... Like a superhuman? Uh, deity, no, but um, throughout your life, there's a couple of things that the Bible tells you to do. Mm -hmm. and one is to keep yourself upon a potter's wheel. And you know what a potter's wheel does, right? It spins. Right, but when, when it's spinning and the, the individual that's, that's forming the clay pot is smoothing out all the air pockets and purities in that, in that clay pot so that when it's fired, it doesn't crack. Does he say that, or is that a, a metaphor that you have to infer yourself? No, it says keep yourself upon a potter's wheel. Right, but so I would take that literally and just sit on a potter's wheel and spin around until I die unless I inferred the metaphor that the point is I don't actually mean sit on a potter's wheel. I mean smooth out your rough edges. You need to get better. Okay, and when, you, and when you go to God, and because and the Bible says if, he, if a man doesn't tell you, if a man tells you he does not have sin, he's a liar, all right? But mm -hmm. the difference between being washed in the blood and accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Master of your life and him going to the cross and shedding his blood for you and putting it on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies as the last great sacrifice is the fact that you can come to God in repentance. Now, what repentance is, it means to turn around or turn away from. Okay, change, in, change in, in, in order... In order for you to turn around or turn away from, you have to go to God with a contrite heart. Contrite means crush the powder, right? So you know you've wronged God, and you go to God, and you ask for his forgiveness, and you go to him with a contrite heart in repentance, and you turn away from those sins. And, and throughout your lifetime, you start to, to smooth out your rough edges, and all of those sins that you used to commit start to go away. Because the Bible says that you can't enter the kingdom of heaven with spot, blemish, or wrinkle. So when you go to heaven and you get judged by God, he'll say one of two things. Either depart from me, for I do not know you, or enter in, thou good and faithful servant. So you're still a sinner. I'm not a sinner. See, what, what God is saying. So you're saying that you've learned what sin is, and, and you, you became a Christian to never sin again, and you've followed that. 
So what? So God, you're perfect. So what, God? When you die, there is a debt to be paid, and that is the debt of the law, or going against God's law. That is what I'm talking about. God's law. <clears throat> um, looking at women with lust, um, unjustified anger, uh, lying, stealing, all that good stuff. That, the reason why we sin is because of the flesh. And that's why when we have the Savior, He... Who knew no sin. Yeah. He lived that life of no sin, and that's why His sacrifice was efficient. And if we believe in Him... The Lord will not see our life, but he will see the life of Jesus Christ, a life without sin. So here, let me, let me simplify that for you a little bit. So let's say you got 47 parking tickets, and you go into court, and you're ready for whatever judgment that judge is going to pass down to you. And then all of a sudden, the judge says, you're free to go, your debt's been paid. Somebody else paid that debt for you. So Jesus Christ paid that debt for us. Okay, I get that. That's why there's no other way to the Father but by Him. Okay, I get that, but I still don't think that's answering my question, which is who, do you, who are you once you, you cross the gates and you're in heaven? Right. You, you're asking, you, do we, you, are, are you gonna, we still sinful when we die? Well, the thing is... Let's, is here's, here's a prime... Here, let's, hypothetical is going to be the easiest way to, to, to boil this one down. Here we are, all three of us, uh, plane hits this house, boom, we're all good Christians, boom, we go to heaven, God says, I'm judging you, y'all are pretty cool, you're in, okay? So now we're in the club. We walk in, things are great, and there is this angel, and she is, you know what I'm saying? Real good looking, real good looking woman. And for, a, for a, the moment you, your eyes lay on her, that reaction in your male brain goes, procreate. Now... You're still a human. That's still human nature. That's still our biology. Does that still happen? That's the nature of the flesh. No, it doesn't happen because of this one reason. Okay, once you get to heaven, there is no reason for you to procreate. Not at all. And all the fleshly desires... But you're still a human. All the fleshly desires... You're not... Listen, you're not going to take Lester's vehicle with him. Okay, you're not, you're not going to go to heaven with your car. And your, so, your body, your flesh, is the vehicle in which your soul... Every depiction I've ever seen of anyone in heaven is they're still in their vessel. It's just like a different plane of existence in that vessel. Okay, well, let me explain the word to you. The what soul it, still maintains the appearance. What it says is when God human form. splits the eastern sky, okay, mm -hmm. the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we'll go meet him in the air. Why would the dead in Christ rise first? If we're already there. Because we have to come back and pick up our God vessel. You understand? This human vessel, you're not taking with you. Your soul's going to go to heaven. And when the day of judgment comes, then we're going to come back and pick it up. Same way Jesus did. The, the curse of sin is still on this body. That's why our bodies still die. So you're, you're saying at one point there's going to be an end <clears throat> to this test amongst a long time and generations of humans. Eventually, there's just an end point, and then all the souls that are in heaven, vesselless or without human form, will then come back, grab their body, run back up to heaven with it, and put it back on like a human suit, and now we're all human again. Did Jesus come back 
and pick up his body. When are we talking? I don't know. I'm, gonna, I'm, a, I'm going to pr- I'm going to presume no. According to the word, Jesus died on the cross. Mm-hmm. They put his body in a tomb. Mm-hmm. Jesus went to hell for three days. Yep. Took the crown that Adam gave to Satan back. And then where'd he go? Where'd he go, Nathan? He came back to the tomb. Okay. Picked up his body. All right? And then he went and laid his, the mercy seed on the Holy of Holies. Matter of fact, he told Mary, don't touch me. I haven't gone to my father yet. Okay. Okay, so we are supposed to be living in the image of God. Right? We created in the image of God. We're supposed to live as Christ-like as possible. This has gotten way, way tangential. When you go <laughs> to heaven, there will be no fleshly desires of any kind. You will not hunger, you will not thirst, you'll not want for sex, you'll not be cold, you won't be too hot, you won't need clothes, nothing. There will be no fleshly desires in heaven at all. And the Lord provides you a new body. A body that knows no sin. It will be a glorified body. That's your heavenly body. Jesus Christ picked up his glorified heavenly body. Mm -hmm. That's, That's what it says in the scriptures. That sounds like a real weird... And bland existence. But. Well, how would you know if you've never experienced a life without sin? Well, I know this. I just ate your your wife's cooking, and it was phenomenal. And I wouldn't mind eating that dish again sometime before I die, whether it be once or many times. So to go somewhere where it's like, no, food don't exist here, bud. You don't ever need it. You don't want it. Like, what? There's no tacos? Are you telling me there's no tacos in heaven? The scriptures actually talk about the... The fruit, I'm, I can't ex- uh, really remember, but there is a tree that um, talks about the fruit. And this is after the judgment, people got their bodies, and they eat it for pleasure, but they don't eat it to survive. Here's so my, eating is pleasurable. Here's my All question. All the pleasures will still be there, here's, but here, without sin. Here's my question to you. Here's my question to you. So you can eat 4,000 tacos in a row and it doesn't count as gluttony anymore. Because and then you don't die either. Listen, would you say no? That sounds like more sin was the answer. <laughs> it does. Would you say no to being happy all the time? Uh, I think anybody would say yes. So you would say yes to being happy all the time? What's the point? Would you or not? Do you know what makes happy great? Because you've been sad. And I think the people that experience the most in this world are those that have experienced the deepest pains, the deepest sorrows and suffering. And they understand how good it is to have good people and good friends and good experiences because what have you they've never... experienced suffering. And I would assert that those that have never experienced suffering, you can see them a mile off. You know who they are. They're the brats, the spoiled person in the room. You can see them. They ain't never worked a day in their life. We know those people. I don't want that guy's life. Sure, he's got a Lamborghini at 16 because daddy bought it for him. And that kid is never going to have to work in a stifling hot factory like we do. But I really love being a blue collar. I wouldn't have it any other way. Here's my point. The first will be last. The last will be first. He said I didn't come to save the righteous. Came to see, save the weak, the meek. 
the ones that are poor in spirit. Now, those people who've experienced hardships, those people that experienced a life that was not happy, those people that experienced uh, poverty and whatnot, mm-hmm. never again do they ever have to experience again. And I almost guarantee you that you ask any one of them, whether it be, whether it be a child from a broken home, an orphan, so on, if they, if they would choose to never have to experience that ever again in their life, they would absolutely say, I would absolutely not want to experience any of that ever again in my life. I would say this. I really love salmon. I like raw salmon in form of sushi. I like cooked salmon, like a nice baked salmon on a bed of rice. And I really love smoking my own fillets of salmon in my smoker at home. If you told me, bud, you're going to eat this smoked salmon for infinity, and that's it, I'd, I'd say I'm out. I don't want it ever. No. Because what is the point of enjoying this good salmon if I have to eat it every day and I'll never eat uh, an overcooked filet of tilapia? It gives you absolutely no perspective. And I feel like after an eternity, you'd lose all perspective not not being able to, to share in, in other things. We've drifted tangentially again oh, yeah. real far. This could be a fun topic later, but we should probably segue into uh, back into morality and into the next step. Because with my with my question for what we become in heaven, it sounds like we could elaborate on oh, that yeah. for a whole other. Absolutely. <laughs> but I just do want to make this statement. Um, you, you do have a point. How can you compare um, enjoyment without suffering? Perspective. Right. You need frame of reference. You, you need do, contrast. You, you really do. And, and, and my point is, you know, We've never experienced a place without sin or suffering. I mean, we're born into the world with suffering, so how would we know whether it's, it's good like, or not? You know, that's, so, that's a reasonable argument. You've never experienced it. How do you know it'd be bad? Yeah, you, how, how do you it could know? be pretty great. You have, yeah. I don't know. And, You've experienced an entire lifetime of suffering. And the other thing is, well, is that this whole 30 world, years anyway. this whole world of suffering is what we can compare to the new world that Jesus has promised us that will have no sin, no suffering, no pain, no tears. And that's what we can compare that to. So let's... uh, But like you said, that's a whole other topic. Yeah. (laughs) If you come from where I come from, I'll take it. So... Like I said, let's uh, go ahead and go ahead and go back to um, the topic that we really want to get into. Is um, I know that we have just gone over the um, God's law: "Thou shalt not kill." That thou shalt not commit adultery. You know, don't use my my name in vain. Um, the ten. Right, the ten, but. I have always had a problem before the Ten Commandments and before I really understood it. I have always had a problem with what makes something moral, right? Now, that's not to say that I didn't learn values from my, my father and my grandfather, but I didn't really understand what makes something, you know, good. Is it good deeds or, you know, and then you can go into well, what makes a deed good 
you know. But um, with the Ten Commandments, I feel like it's a very good starting point of uh, defining morality. And, and not just a, a very good starting point. To me, it is the starting point. It is the foundation. And it's a foundation where you can build society on and the family. So, um, like I said, I mean, it, it's just so hard to define morality. But it's good to know that um, it's written. I, I would argue that there are some things in the Bible that align with morality and things that are moral, but not everything in there is moral. And I would, I mean, looking at, at the Ten Commandments, keep the Sabbath day holy. I really, unless, I mean, it makes sense if you're a firm believer in Christianity. Well, that's God's day. He told you he was doing stuff, and he said don't do stuff on the day he didn't do stuff because it's the day of rest, which sounds, I mean, there sounds beneficial because you have a tradition of making sure you have a day where you recover from whatever it is the other six days you've done. You've worked uh, both mentally and physically, and there needs to be a day where you reflect and you relax, maybe spend time with family, whatever it may be. All work and no play make Jack a dull boy. That, that I mean, we've all heard that one, and that could apply to it. But just because you see moral uh, things in the Bible or things in the Bible aligning with things in the real world that are moral, it doesn't mean that the Bible is morality or that the Bible... Uh, does morality come from God is the question. I mean, does... N I would assert no, it does not. Yeah. Uh, I think we have uh, better tools than the Bible to find out what is moral. And, and, and what would those tools be? Um... I don't mean that in an aggressive so, way. So, just... well, you using using uh, our logic and our experiences in the world in philosophy, we, we we can we can derive what's best. What's the best way to lead our lives? Uh, a quick example would be, um, I don't want you to experience pain because I know pain isn't fun. Mm -hmm. I want you to experience joy because I know joy is fun. So based off of my own human experience, I can derive a very simple moral set. Um, I'm not going to cheat on my girlfriend with you because I know that would hurt her deeply. Um, and it would cause probably more damage than I really probably could ever understand truly. I know that. And I've never read the Bible. You had to explain to me all these commandments. I've never read them before, but I knew that. And I knew it through my own personal experience. And it's it logically makes sense. If I don't want it done to other people, I'm not going to – or if I don't want it done to myself, I shouldn't do it to other people. And Biblical. If I, and if I do – well, yeah, like I said, there are things in the Bible that align there. But then I can go to this one that says, hey, uh, don't, uh, don't work on Sunday well, that's my only day off, and Mama needs a new electrical panel, so I'm going to go put an electrical panel in. I work all day. Okay, so let me address that. Okay, because <clears throat> so right here, right here in Matthew 12. More interpretation? No. Right here in Matthew 12. You've already shown that talks, in the Bible there are metaphors, and it leaves room for inference it and talks, interpretation. You have to stop. 
Thank you. In the Bible, Matthew 12, it talks about, so your mom needs a new electrical panel. Sure. It's something it will do to, to make her life better, yeah? I would assume so. Okay, watch this. So in Matthew 12, it says, Now then he departed from there, and he went to their synagogues, and behold, a wise man with a withered hand, and he asked them, saying, Is it lawful to heal him on the Sabbath, that they might accuse him? And then he said to them, What is a man among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into the pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? How much more do you value this man than the sheep? Now the man with the withered hand, Jesus heals him on the Sabbath. Did it make his life better? The man yeah. that he healed? Yeah. Well, I would argue yes, because okay, now he so, is healed. So, Jesus Christ. So you can work, because <clears throat> apparently Jesus' vocation was to heal. Jesus Christ, who only did what his father told him, mm-hmm. healed that man on the Sabbath. Sure. According to Mosaic law, they... He, he had to ask his own father, Jesus Christ, in the flesh had to look up to God and say, dude, is it okay if I do this? He, he didn't even know based off the morality in the Bible whether or not it was okay to heal a man. That's not what I said. What I said was he only do he only does what his father said. So if his father would have told him no, he wouldn't have done it. Okay. Do you understand? So you're uh, saying I can work on Sunday. Go I'm ahead, saying... Go ahead and make your statement there, Joe. Where I'm saying that you can't Grab a secular job and go to work. But if your mom needs some stuff, it says, Honor thy mother and thy father, so that their days may be long upon the earth. You're not out there working to make yourself money. You're not out there trying to What if my mom's going to pay me purpose. for the job? Your mom, if you take money from your mom, you, you need to check yourself. All right, we'll be right back. Why? <laughs> 